Well, it's literally um, a year ago that um, in planning to come to Abbey, I um, had to face one of the reasons why I didn't want to come to Abbey. I bet you can't... Th- I mean, obviously, uh, you're such wonderful people and such a lovely place to live. You can't imagine what that was. Well, of course, it wasn't really anything to do with Abbey. It was to do with the, uh, the fact that we've got to sort out the house that we lived in before we could move. And any of you who have moved house in the recent past will, I'm sure, agree with me that moving is not something you really want to do. But never mind, it would be great when you've moved. But um, because we've, got a slot, we've been living there 15 years and we've got a lot to sort out, particularly in the attic. We had quite a big attic and uh, it was full of stuff. Uh, some of the stuff had been simply moved from the previous attic, um, and, but we'd been in Red Star Road for uh, 15 years, and we had a lot of stuff there. And in our attic, we had uh, all manner of things that t- took me ages to, uh, literally days, to, to go through and, and decide what we were going to keep and what we were going to ditch. Because most of it, a lot of it, of course, related to our past. So we had, we had all the stuff related even to sometimes when things from our school days and study there and professional stuff and all these manuals and whatever else. We had stuff relating to our children, schools, their school reports and things like that. And uh, some, some toys, uh, camping equipment from years gone by. We had three old tents stuck up in the loft and other bits of camping equipment that we didn't really get to use. We had uh, funny things, people, the things that were given to us that we didn't know what else to do with, you know, like the singing fish and, you know, all those sort of things that you think, well, really, I, I probably ought to throw it away, but we'll just stuff it up in the attic. And yeah, so everything just got lumped up there. And, uh, yeah, and I had to sort through all this stuff because I thought, if we're going to move, we're going to do this properly this time and we're going to go through the attic and we're going to give back to our children anything that belonged to them or we're going to take it to the tip, etc. Sorting out the attic. The attic is a strange place, isn't it? In a sense, because it's, it's part of our house but it's, in a sense, it's slightly detached in that no one else ever goes into the attic, do they? I mean, when you invite, when you invite friends around, you don't say, you might say, come and see our new house. Kim's done some tours for those. You can still come along and have a look if you want to. She did not ever, she never showed anyone into the attic. The attic is hidden away. No one else sees it. In fact, rarely do we see it. Because apart from when we're going to sort it out, or apart from when we're moving some more stuff back into it, our son and daughter-in-law are having cleared it all out before have now brought it all back to us. So we've now back in, the, back in the attic, or some of it's back in the attic. It's a place that's hidden away. And by and large, it's a place that deals with the past. It stores things that have happened to us, or experiences, things from the past. What's in your attic? And this morning, of course, I'm not really interested in what's in your attic. Perhaps we could have an attic sharing experience. Maybe we could do that. We could invite people into our attics. That might be quite, quite interesting, mightn't it? Maybe not, okay. Um, but what's in, what's in the attic of your lives? We've been looking, haven't we, about how our lives are like rooms. 
and uh, we've been looking at different rooms and what they might mean, because Jesus wants to be Lord of all our lives. He wants to be involved in each and every aspect. And uh, we've talked about uh, the living room and relationships, and we've talked about um, the kitchen and serving, and uh, we've talked about the dining room and hospitality. We've talked about the bedroom and sex. If you haven't listened to that one, there's a podcast you can listen to. We don't often talk about sex and intimate relationships on Sunday mornings. Today we come to the attic. What's in the attic of your life? What's in the past that's stored up there? Now the truth is there's lots of good things in the past as well. There's lots of good memories, photographs of times past or whatever else. But maybe there's also stuff that um, that's, uh, affects us. I remember saying to Kim, she, she laughed at this. She, she laughed too strongly, actually, when I said this. I, was, I, was pl- I remember playing football, and there were some girls on the touchline that I wanted to impress by my football abilities and general uh, prowess and all the rest of it. And uh, when I came off, they, they started calling me chicken legs. And I've never, I've never really recovered from that. Especially now I've got chickens and I've seen what their legs actually look like. You know, I've, I've been scarred um, deeply by, by such things. Now the truth is that's pretty, pretty small, isn't it, and trivial. But maybe there are some things in our lives, in our histories, in our past that actually do, uh, do affect us. You see, you might say, well, what's, what's the importance, what's the value of talking about the, the past? It is past, isn't it? And what's past is past. You can't do anything about it. You can't go and you can't go back. You can't go back to the future and start sorting things out. It's it's past. But the truth is, isn't it, that the past does affect the present and the future, or it can. It can affect what we are now, and it can affect who we may become in the future. I used to deal with. Uh, Meet with lots of, uh, quite a few people back when we had a drop-in centre back in Chard, and people who ha- had all sorts of issues and problems. And when they talked to you about their lives, you'd find often that the things in the past that actually were, had a significant effect on the way that they were now, and who they might be in the future. Our past is important. You know, and Jesus wants to be involved in our past. Jesus wants to, in a sense, be involved with that. He is interested in the whole person, literally all of us, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He's interested in all of us. And Jesus is concerned about what's happening on the inside and what's happened in the past that's affecting the inside. We often judge by the outside, don't we, what we look like. You're, as I stand up, you, you, you know, particularly if I was new here, you'd be making judgments about me based on what I look like, what I wear, my accent. You'd probably be judging me for my Birmingham accent, which is most unfair. Um, we judge by the outer appearance. God, God sees the outer appearance, but what he's really interested in is what's on the inside. Because the inside is far more important than the outside, as well as the inside affecting the outside, as we might see later on. And secondly, Jesus knows exactly what is on the inside, doesn't he? He knows it. We can, uh, we, we can, and we do naturally, you know, I, in a sense, even as I'm speaking this morning, I put up, in a sense, a front, don't we? we, we, we in part, we perhaps have to. So we, we want to display to people what we'd like them to see about us. We don't want them to see our chicken legs, they want us to see a great footballer. And, and, and we, so we put up, we put up f- 
faces, pretense, pretenses. And the truth is sometimes that's hiding what's really going on behind. So that's when Jesus had problems with the Pharisees and he called them hypocrites. Hypocrites is because literally means mask wearing. They wore masks. What was on the outside was not true for what was behind the mask. And Jesus knows. So we might fool, in a sense, each other. To misquote Abraham Lincoln, we might fool some of the people some of the time, but we don't fool God any of the time. He sees exactly what is there, past and present. And thirdly, as we've been thinking this morning, Jesus actually can bring about change on the inside. And he can change the things even that have happened in the past in terms of the way that they affect our present and our future. So very quickly this morning, I have to be really quick. We're going to look at three, we may not even get to the third, but three examples of people that Jesus met, and we're going to look at their attics, what was in their attic, and we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with them, and we're going to think about how does that affect us. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3, and if somebody would like to shout out the page number for John chapter 3, then you can look it up. And these are all in the first few chapters of John's Gospel. One hundred six five is John chapter 3. They are all well-known stories. We're not going to deal with them in great detail. You know, many of you will know them well. We're just going to focus on perhaps a particular aspect of them. So from John chapter 3, verse 1. So now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Okay, so the Pharisees, very, very religious people. You could not help but be impressed if you saw a Pharisee. They, not, they studied the, the Old Testament, they studied the traditions of the elders, and they sought to put them into practice. So they lived very religious, devotional lives. And uh, it was impressive, and they had the respect of, of many people. This man is also, it says, a member of the ruling council. Right? So he's got a, a position of real status within society. People would have looked up to this man. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he's got some interest. The Pharisees, we know, came to have great problems with Jesus, and of course they were the ones partly, well not partly, but significantly responsible for his death and execution at the end. But this man, Nicodemus, knows that there's something different about this man, and particularly because of the miracles that he's doing. Verse 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. I mean, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? You're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand what I'm talking to you about? You see, Nicodemus, in his attic, in his past, 
he'd got all this learning of, of, about God. He'd studied it intently, the scriptures, and, and, and as I said, the, the, the elders and their traditions. And um, do you know what? He'd put God in a box. He'd worked out what God was like from all his studies. And he worked out what pleases God and how he should live this very religious, devotional life. And you, and you might think, well, that's, this, this, isn't, this isn't bad, is it? But it is, isn't it? Because he'd decided that this was what God was like and this was what religious life looked like. And actually, it was a barrier. A big, big barrier, a big block. What was in his attic was a big block to him actually understanding what God was really like and what it meant really to have faith in God and to live that out. You see, he didn't realize, he didn't realize in a sense, he did in his head but not in his experience that God was sovereign and God could do whatever he wanted to do. And that was way beyond the box that Nicodemus had constructed of what God was like. He thought the way to God was through his good works. He was looking forward to the kingdom of God because, because in that kingdom he would have a place because of, because of what he'd done. And so when Jesus turns to him and, and seems not to answer his question at all, and Jesus turns to him and simply says, he says, uh, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom unless he's the kingdom of God unless he's born again. didn't seem to relate to what Nicodemus was asking at all. But the truth was that God knew exactly what was in Nicodemus's heart. He knew what was in his attic. And he wasn't going to deal with the question that, that Nicodemus was asking, but he was going to deal with the real truth that Nicodemus had got to face up to. And that was that his religious experience and knowledge of God was not sufficient. It was totally inadequate. It would not bring him into the kingdom of God. His good works were not good enough for God. And if he wanted to even see the kingdom of God, he'd got to do something that's going to be incredibly difficult. He's going to have to humble himself. He's going to have to recognize that all that he's built his life upon is totally useless. In the final analysis, it will not work. What's in his attic actually is a great, great big problem. And if you think you're good enough for God and that when you stand before him, he's going to look at your good works and he's going to put his thumbs up, this passage and many others tell you that it's not true. Do not believe that's a lie. Unless you come the way everyone comes to God, through faith in him, through trusting in what he's done, when you stand before him, everything else will be of no value whatsoever. And that was the truth that Nicodemus had got to face up to. If you think we're good enough for God, you definitely are not. That's what this passage teaches us. I think there's a broader issue for us, who are Christians as well, who actually have come to faith. And that is this. Does your knowledge and experience of God, things that you've known of him in the past up until now, does that actually limit in terms of what you think God can do or wants to do in your life in the future, in my life. Do you think you've got it all sorted? Do you think what you've experienced is all there is to experience? Do you think what you know is all there is to know? 
Are you content with that? Because the truth is, God actually wants to show you so much more. Show me so much more. I know so little. I've experienced so little. So don't let's box God. You can no more box God than box the wind. Is one of the ways of interpreting what Jesus was saying. God is sovereign and he can work in any way that he chooses. The question is, is are you willing and are we humble enough to admit that we need God to work in our lives? Let's move on to John chapter 4. And this is a very different person, isn't it? John chapter 4. From verse 4. Now Jesus is leaving Jerusalem and Judea. It says, because of the Pharisees, right? Oh, by the way, the good news is, I think, uh, I think Nicodemus' box was well and truly opened. I think he'd rather his attic was well and truly opened. Because right at the end, we find that Nicodemus is one of the two people who take Jesus' body and bury it. And that would have been, you wouldn't have done that. You'd taken the body of the man that the Pharisees have just executed, effectively. I think Jesus opened Nicodemus' attic, and he was set free. But So one day, hopefully, therefore, we'll meet up with him. We'll be able to have a conversation. John chapter 4, verse 4, is Jesus is leaving Samaria, leave, <laughs> rather leaving Judea, and he goes through Samaria. Now, let's start reading verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now you know, you know, don't you, that the, the Jews and the Samaritans were not the best of friends, right? That is the big understatement. They hated each other's guts. They weren't at war because they were both controlled by the Romans, but they hated one another. They said some terrible things about one another. Jews did not associate with Samaritans at all. They regarded them as unclean, they were a mixed race, they were a mixed religion. They wanted nothing to do with them. And generally they avoided them. Which is why it's so interesting that Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. That would have been very shocking to his listeners. And yet here is Jesus going in a, into a Samaritan village. And there... He asks a Samaritan woman at the, in the heat of the day for a drink. Now, Jesus now is breaking all social barriers. Right? He's, crossed, he's crossed the line completely now. He didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. Jewish men did not talk publicly with women. And here he is talking with a Samaritan woman. He's broken every etiquette. This is outrageous stuff that Jesus is doing. And she's surprised. So if you go on reading, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She knew that even if he drank, drank from, a, from a receptacle that she'd touched, that that would make Jesus unclean. No Jew would ever do that. No respectable person would do that. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself 
as did his sons and his flocks and herds. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the water, this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me the water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drink water. So he's telling us some wonderful things. He's offering her living water. Water that wells up to eternal life. Either she didn't understand or she didn't want to understand, I don't know which, what Jesus was talking about. She thinks, it seems that he's talking about physical water, meeting physical needs. And then Jesus said to her, again, seems to cut right across the conversation, have nothing to do with what's happened up to now. He told her, go call your husband and come back. And I suggest now that Jesus is, Jesus is pushing on the door of her attic. And he's pushed it slightly open. And the question is, what is she going to do now? She says, I have no husband. I think she's allowed it to open just a bit more. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five, hus five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said, just said, is quite true. And Jesus pushes this door pretty wide open. And this lady's got a history. And this lady's history is very different to Nicodemus's history. But it's also just as much a problem. This door reveals... This attic, from mixed metaphors, reveals a can of worms. And this lady is in a very difficult position. She would be regarded as an immoral person. To have had all those husbands and then be living with someone who she's not married to. She would be right on the edge of her society. She would be an outcast. And yet... Here's Jesus talking to her. Here's Jesus initiating a conversation with this woman. Here's Jesus actually saying to this woman, I can give you something. I can give you something that will so completely change your life that it will well up to eternal life. I can give you that if you want. To offer what she really needs. Not her physical needs, not the need for water from the well, not the need for relationships, not sex or whatever it might have been. He said, I can give you what you really need. Water that will cleanse your life and refresh you, restore you, enable you to forgive and be forgiven. Do you want it? The gift of eternal life. She can be set free. If the Son will set you free, you will be free indeed. And he tells her later on that he is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus, as with Nicodemus, shows great grace and truth as he deals Grace and truth. He's, he's truthful with her because he loves her. He doesn't beat around the bush. He, he deals with the very issue and speaks about her past and gives her the opportunity to respond. That was what is in 
erratic. And if you think you are too bad ever to be, have eternal life or to be in the kingdom of God, this passage teaches us that you're not. That whoever, whether you're this woman or the thief on the cross or anywhere in between, that in, by trusting in what Jesus, who he is and what he's done, which is what we'll celebrate in a moment together, you can be set free. You can be part, embraced and welcomed into God's family. So what's in your attic? In my attic, this is true, in my attic, and Kim didn't know this until I told her earlier, amongst all the other stuff was some stuff that, as I said, she didn't know was there. And what it was, was a letter. A letter that had been written to me. And there was a photocopy of my reply, filed together in the attic. That let those letters was a letter about a broken relationship, not with another uh, woman, with a man, but in the right sense. Um, a guy, another Christian, who I'd had a big fallout with, a guy in the church. And he wrote me a letter, and he said some very tough things in that letter. And I wrote him a letter in equal measure. Those things were still kept in the attic. Because they'd hurt a lot. Hurt a lot. And, uh, but the truth was, when we came to move, I could throw those letters away. The reason I could throw them away is because sometime before that, some couple of years ago, I'd actually done what I could do to put this right. I'd confessed to God publicly with one or two others what I'd done, what I'd said, what I thought, and what was not right. And then I'd gone to this guy, and I'd, uh, I didn't go to him because he didn't live, he'd moved away. I wrote him a letter, and uh, I asked for his forgiveness. And so the truth was, this was dealt with. I'd done everything that I could do to put the matter right. I couldn't go back and undo it. I wish I could, but you can't. But I could do it in God's grace. I could do what God would want me to do in that situation. The people that you need to forgive will receive forgiveness from. And God can help you do it. He can bring grace and truth into those situations. And whereas you can't, perhaps you can't change it, he can, stop you being, he can stop you being bound by it in the present and for the future. And that's a great thing. You see now, whenever I, and the devil does at times, remind me of that situation, I simply say to him, I confess that openly for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I confessed it to other people so that they knew. And I confessed it to him. And it's finished. It's finished. It's dealt with. And that's great. I don't have to carry that around. I don't have to, I don't have to, that, that doesn't have to be a burden on my life. It doesn't have to be something that drags me down. Because in God's sight, it's finished. And that's good. God is a God of grace and truth. Time has gone. The other guy, the next guy, is in chapter 5. We're not going to look at it. This is the 
just to say this is the guy, just to finish with the guy, he's been sick for 38 years. He's an invalid, he's a beggar, and for some reason Jesus picks this guy out, doesn't he? He goes to him and he picks him out. And Jesus says something very strange to this man who's been lying there for 38 years. He says, he says, do you want to get well? <laughs> Isn't that a stupid thing to ask? <laughs> a guy's been sick for 38 years and he says, do you want to get well? Well, that's because the truth is, you do, need to get, you do need to want to get well. You do need to want to deal with stuff that's in the attic. God doesn't come breaking the door down and sorting it all out. He says, as he did with that woman, he says, I can do this. I'm going to give you the opportunity now. It's up to you. Are you going to respond in truth? Are you going to respond in humility like, like uh, Nicodemus would have to do? Are you going to get down off, to your, off, your, off your proud position? Do you want to get well? If you do, then I can do something about it. And that man, of course, was made well. And then he said to him at the end, he said another strange thing. He said, he said you're well now. Don't go, sinning. Don't go and sin again. Don't go back. Don't go back. There's some connection in some way between this man's physical condition and some things that had happened in his past. And Jesus said, don't go back there. You're well now. It's finished. Live, live a new and different life. Grace and truth is the way that Jesus deals with us. One day, the Bible says, every attic will be opened. Everything is going to be made known. Everything is going to be seen for exactly as it is. There will be nothing that is hidden. Do you know that? I don't know how that's going to happen, but that's what Jesus taught, and it's more than one scripture. Wouldn't it be better now to be open? Wouldn't it be better now that that is dealt with now so that it's not, it's finished with, than, than it would to be revealed in a future time and place? Because Jesus wants us to be whole now. All right, we will, not, we will not be complete, we won't be perfect until then. We know that. But neither is it a matter of a case of you carry on as we are now and then when Jesus comes, Click, it's all put right. Jesus is on, God is on about, is, is interested in working in our lives now. Changing us now. Beginning, that process continues throughout this physical, earthly life. That's what God's about. Now, I'm not suggesting for any moment in closing that you need to go, we need to go scouring around in the attic, looking in every dark corner. If there are things in your life that God would want you to deal with, then they will be obvious. They'll be obvious, like the situation that I talked about with the man in the letters, right? It was obvious. It was there in the background of my thoughts the whole time. I never forgot that, even though it was happened two or three years before. It was there. And if that's, and if that's, that's what it would be like for you. Whether it be things that you, that, that, you know, your religious pride or whatever else, or whether it be things that you've done or things that people have done to you, Jesus Christ wants to come along and in grace and in truth, out of his love for you, he says, I want to help you deal with this. 
and you can, so that you indeed are set free for the present, and you can become, become more of the person that I intend made you to be and intended you to be. When you open the door of the attic, it's a little door. No one goes there. You're the only one that can open it up. Will we open the door of the attic and let his light and his goodness come in and put right things that he needs to? I'd suggest that if you want to do that, you have to you do it by confession to God, and I would also suggest that you do it with somebody else that you trust, just as I did. Because then they also know that you've done it and that you've dealt with. And it may be a process, it may be an instant, immediate thing. Let Jesus open the door of our attic. Let his light shine in.